Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. You're hello, Russ. You're back with us. I am. The stack of network books that you've never read in the background there. Ah, uh, it's not fair. I've read a lot of that. I got a new bookshelf, though. So. One, one page from each book doesn't count. And I don't know if you noticed, but I positioned just off the camera um, uh, problems and solutions. It's just you just can't see it. it it's up there, though. I figured since both That's of classic. you guys are going to be on here, I should hide it. Oh, thanks so much, Tom. That was, that's, that's great. And you heard Yvonne in there. Yeah. Who is in the process of disconnecting her she shed and pulling it behind her car to another location. That so will happen you, shortly, yes. So if you hear rumbling noises in the background while Yvonne's talking, it's just her she shed being dragged. Ah, uh, yes. So the the big development is that the 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 I think the she shed has gotten so many accolades that my husband decided he also needs a shed. So there is now a he shed which will be right next to the she shed. Awesome. So, yeah, it was. If you, if, if you follow me on Twitter, there are pictures. So, oh, uh, yeah, the, the she shed, the he shed was delivered last week. And that's where the mower and the tools and all those things will go. Oh, that's kind of cool. But not yeah. his office. See, it should be, it's better if it's two offices. Just, just saying. Oh, uh, his <laughs> office is going to be off the chain once we get it done it's actually in the house so yeah yeah okay well mine's in the house it's just in the basement Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and today we are joined by ethan banks who you do not know so we probably should introduce ethan ethan (laughs) yeah (laughs) ethan is sporting his green screen background today so he's kind of faded white and black so we can't pick on him about anything but his chair which is larger than ethan it's very large it was a i needed a chair upgrade and it looked comfortable so i pressed the button and said send it to me and then i got it and it's like wow it's really big it does it comes all the way up behind my shoulders and it's taller than my head when i'm sitting it is it is a massive thing it Does it recline though? though? Can you lay back in it? Is that why that? Yeah, yeah, so you can tall? do all that. Yeah, yeah, it's got, yeah. yeah, yeah, you can. It's kind of. It's like a recliner, only an office chair. It's uh, it's it's like that. Yeah, you know, wow. all, all the adjustments. It's a gaming chair. It's designed yeah, okay. so that if you're sitting here gaming for hours, you can, which I don't game at all these days. I used to. I used to be that guy, but no, now I just sit and type and create so. content a lot in my office, and it's a, a comfy chair for that too, as it turns out. But it is hmm. big. So and then you go is- hike. Yes. What's that? And then you go hike. I hike See and I trail run. Yes, I also media. do that. Hiking, yeah. Yeah. Which beats sitting Instagram in that same about. chair and gaming. That was my point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I went to a leaning chair a long time ago, and I, I actually really like it. I don't, I don't have a back at all, so it's kind of nice. It's kind of, it's kind of a good lower body workout. Every day, the kneeling chair that where you you actually it's a, no a no no I have, it's, a, it's a pogo stick and you oh. lean on it, huh? 
It's a stick with a seat. It's a stick with a seat, and you lean okay. on it. That and sounds so, terrible, Russ. I think I'd hate that. To each his own, man. Say I don't me. know, Ethan. I think I'm older than you are, so I think I need the exercise. <laughs> okay. I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do the lean back in the chair and sleep thing. Hmm. <laughs> so. Okay, so today we're talking about network automation, which should be just as entertaining as that whole conversation about chairs is. <laughs> we apologize in advance. <laughs> if that's the case. We're talking about network automation. So, so Russ, you, you pinged me in Slack and we're like, hey, you haven't been on the hedge for a while. You got things you want to talk about? And this is one of the topics that came up. Yeah. And I'll tell you why it came up. So you guys maybe have heard of the Network Automation Forum, and they're doing this event in Denver, the uh, the Autocon Zero and, thing. Uh, we had Chris and what's his name on? Yeah, Scott. Yeah, yeah, Scott, yeah that's right. We had Chris yeah. and Scott, Chris and on Scott not very long ago. probably. Yeah. Sorry about that. I don't remember names well. Yeah, Chris Grundeman and Scott Rabon. You had them yeah. on. They've been on Packet Pushes as well, yeah. and we we've talked about this. But the point of that of the Network Automation Forum, what the Autocon Zero event is, is to get the industry together practitioners and vendors and automation tooling uh, folks and so on get everybody together and figure out why in the heck has network automation not gone all that well for us when you can look at other parts of the IT stack and infrastructure as code is an accepted thing and uh, what we're doing in cloud is by definition uh, automated in some form almost universally that's the way you deploy it and uh, but not network automation and so the that that the fact that that autocon zero is happening as an event has just kind of got my brain spinning on it yeah why is it we've been talking about automation in some form or another for a decade and yet it still feels like this fledgling almost experimental discipline that many of us have have played with and done things in our lab and written some python scripts and experimented with apis and and so on but it's not like we all have automated our networks and that's the standard way we do things now we haven't gotten there like at all that's not even close to reality yeah and, and, you know, I, I could begin by saying as much as I respect the efforts of doing Autocon, Autocon and trying to get people together to talk about it, to some degree, I almost feel like we have the same people trying to solve the problem for the last 15 to 20 years in the same ways. And maybe we need to change. Maybe that's part of the problem. Is that we well, are. what are you doing to solve the problem, Russ? Yeah, I didn't even automate my last lab, did I? The lab I'm working on right now is not even automated. <laughs> yeah, so it's okay. It's valid. You can. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. So you wrote all these long notes out. I guess I should just read them. No, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, the notes were just like, like, like it was like a brain dump. So, so the hour yeah. before this podcast, they just tried to tried to consolidate yeah. a lot of the challenges you know, behind network automation to try to think about why network automation has not been adopted by everyone universally. And there's there's lots and lots and lots of reasons. I think um, lots of questions we could ask that have some answers that that give us clues as to what the challenges are. Um, one of them, if you guys are expecting us to go through these notes linearly, I, sh I shared no, these no, notes no, with no, these no, poor no. folks just a few minutes ago, if no. you're listening to this, and they don't know what has been in my brain until now as we're talking about it. But uh, w one of the challenges, I think, is uh, we don't have a standardized approach to automating. So we're all automating kind of in our own way. Like we start with free tools because, you know, free, that's pretty easy to get that through the budget cycle. And you just start writing some scripts and doing some things. 
And if you get it, but if you get it wrong uh, with networking, particularly, I think networking is kind of unique in the IT space. If you get it wrong and you blow something up, it can be really bad, like business impacting. If if you go, if you're a developer and you're working with a specific application and you deploy it on Kubernetes and that goes wrong, you probably didn't blow up the entire Kubernetes cluster. It's probably your app and the users of that app or a particular microservice that that are affected. The blast radius is somewhat small. You blow up the network in some way because you automated something and failed at scale. Wow, that's bad. And maybe you took the whole business down. And so I, I do think that's a, a piece of the puzzle. AT&T, Facebook. Yeah, exactly. You mess up automation, you mess up everything. Yeah. Well, I think in a lot of that, like, some of some of the I think reason it's that's absolutely a problem. Yes, because when you break it, you break the whole thing. You don't you don't just break an app and affect an affect a narrow scope of users. You you affect everybody, and you can also remove the ability for yourself to go fix the problem without without getting in a car or sending hands on site. Right, so it's not like you could even roll back. And I think. You know, I think we've got some vendors out there trying to address, you know, how do we understand the existing state of the network? How do we model what changes would look like large scale? Like we don't have the tooling to say if if we do this automated deployment, what's that going to look like as I deploy it? And then what is the final state going to be? Um, that's actually a very difficult problem to solve. And and I think the the absence of the kind of visibility and tooling um, is is part of the problem. I, yeah. I kind of have a vendor rant prepared at some point, but I don't know that we're <laughs> quite there yet. Well, I'm, I'm, well I'm, I'm, I want to inject a little <laughs> another little thing in here that's really not true of the event of the world of servers, and that is to some degree we have had network automation ever since the first networks were designed and deployed, because we have automated routing protocols. We have DHCP. We mm-hmm. have other things that automate parts of what a network does. And to some degree, I think we are a victim, uh, or networks are a victim of the automation we have gets us about 50 to 75% of the way of getting done what needs to get done on a day-to-day basis. I'm not manually configuring static routes on every device in my network and trying to man- and write a script to monitor the state of all the links. It's all done for me. And so really all I'm automating is configuration of other automated systems in a sense. And so it's almost second order, which kind of reduces the value proposition in some sense and makes it more, makes it a higher risk endeavor. I mean, this yes is- and no, because you're, you're talking about, to me, you're talking about the underlay and what networking has evolved to is an underlay that tends to be somewhat rigid and doesn't change a whole lot. And the automation is happening in the overlay where there's some right. some Virtualization. sort of uh, tunneling that's happening, a virtual yeah. network that's being stood up and built that has more to it than connectivity. It yeah. is also security now. That's part and parcel of what is being automated is some sort of uh, security and or traffic prioritization schemes, maybe things that are beyond what, Russ, I guess I would describe it as what you, know, you and I grew up with. Yeah. OSPF and routing protocols, things like that, that take a distributed system and make it operate as one. But how many years have we had that overlay? It's what, 10 years? 
At, yeah, it's 10 plus. 10, yeah. 10 plus. But I mean, it hasn't been like the networking industry hasn't been dealing with the policy issues of the server side networking for nearly as many years as the server side people have been dealing with the policy stuff. Oh, so you're saying networking hasn't had enough years to get to the point of uh, maturity where we can do the automation. In the places where we need it. We started off with an underlay that was automated anyway with a few simple lines you configure OSPF or ISIS, right? And before we started deploying BGP wide scale, like the configurations were simple. There was nothing there. And then, so why automate it? Like, why are you automating OSPF configuration? I mean, literally, it's it's there's nothing. And then, or ISIS configuration, there's nothing there. And then you get to the point now where we do have BGP, which requires automation. And then, then we're trying to change BGP so it doesn't require automation, right? <laughs> right? Seriously. And then, and then like, and then like now we're getting to the point in networking where for five or ten years now we've had real policy we've had to deal with, and not just get reachability and get it done. And so I think that part of this is just maturity. Like we look at networking as a very old field. The reality is like the parts you're taught, the parts that need to be automated just aren't that old to me. What's interesting. Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with Wardley maps. I keep hearing about Wardley maps and I've read and I've studied and I still don't think I am clear enough on how to create one of these things but but really what what wordly maps is is a, it's a how do we how do we build a strategy for our technology business and figure out where we need to make improvements and a big part of that map is going from the um, very bespoke completely custom emerging state to the commodity state right mm -hmm. and it feels like networking got stuck between that custom and productized place, especially when it becomes comes to network configuration. And like all the rest of the IT stack has moved on down to toward commodity. And especially, you know, yeah. it's that, you know, the whole pets versus cattle conversation. Like we've yeah. never moved networking completely out of pets into cattle yeah. because when it comes to configuration, because yeah, the protocols are automated um, and, and we've got dynamic routing and all of that, but it's, it's, it's not just a network anymore. It's networks of networks right. and, yes, and, right. and the scale has changed, Yep. but, but we haven't, and I don't know if there's a fear on the part of the vendors that to commoditize that. I don't know if there's a fear on the part of, I mean, there's always a fear on the part of practitioners that their job is going to be automated away. But I'm like, go learn something interesting, something new and interesting. I mean, you learned, you learned this, go just go learn the next thing, right? It's, you know, we, we're none born knowing how to, you know, distribute rats into BGP. So, you know. Um, well, I don't think, but, I mean, I don't think the scale... So, so regardless of the fears of the practitioners or whatever else, scale drives business eventually, regardless of those fears. Like the, and the other thing is the, um, there's a multiplier that we, that networking infrastructure just naturally doesn't enjoy because you can have 10,000 servers, but you're not going to have nearly that much in network infrastructure by definition. A network infrastructure is supposed to be, you know, a, a sub factor. It's not supposed to be as, as, as scaled as the workloads. 
uh, the things, you know, the things powering the workload. So I don't know. I, to me, I always look at it in terms of like capital outlay. Uh, you look at the the budget for a network in any data center anywhere, and it's sometimes, most of the time, it's less than a single digit percentage of the total cost of the facility and the workloads. Like if the whole project is a million dollars and you only have uh, 9% of that is network infrastructure, why would you spend more money on that? It just, it, you know, in terms of scale, it just doesn't make sense, I think, to, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense to automate. I'm just saying the market forces to drive it and make it like all these other fields. It's just not the same, not the same dynamics, I think. Now, Yvonne, you said another, you were talking about commoditization and uh, we're still dealing with the pets versus cattle and leaning on the side of pets when we build our networks. And I do think that is yet another obstacle to automation for sure, because we're all building snowflakes that do the same thing is, uh, is how I like to think about it. Tom will build the network different from how Russell will build it, different from how Ethan will build it, different from how Yvonne will build it, because none of us are working off the same sheet of paper. We don't have an industry-accepted way to build a, a network as such. We were all trained in some way. We've probably all been to some classes. Maybe we've got some certifications. Maybe we have computer science degrees and, and so on. But we all end up, if, if the four of us were, were tasked with the same task list on the CCDE exam, Ross, or something, to build, to go build a network, we'd build it and it would get the job done and it would all be different, even though it accomplishes the same thing, which I think is a problem for, for automation. We're, we're going to build an IP Ethernet network. It's going to securely transport packets. It's going to do it fast in some kind of a timely fashion. And uh, and so, what, but what is it about the industry, about our industry, that means we're building something different every time? Sometimes it's constraints, right? Sometimes it's budgetary. We can't buy the same equipment we might buy given a, you know, if we had, if money was no object, we'd buy X, but money is an object. And so we buy, we buy Y instead, whatever it is. And then, you know, there, so there are, there are constraints that will affect the network. But ultimately, I feel like as an industry, we should get to a point where we're kind of building more or less the same network uh, for most businesses. There's definitely going to be exceptions to that. If we could move in that direction as an industry, that would uh, go a long way to helping. It, it would be much easier to automate a predictable network. Oh, you're building this industry accepted thing uh, over here. We'd have to do it in a modular way, of course, because, uh, you know, we need different modules that we'd be stitching together our network of networks. But we're not doing that. We haven't gotten to that commoditization point. Everything's a pet. Everything's special. Everything's a snowflake. And um, that's a problem for automation because now you look at the automation tooling vendor. and They're like, huh. Like you talked about this earlier as well, Yvonne. We have no idea what you've got. We've got to discover it, figure out the state of it. And then figure out how to manage it and work with it and deal with your intent and push state into this thing when yours is different from everybody else's and everybody else's is different from everybody else's too. So you can't build a, a, a custom purpose-built tool that does the one thing that everybody agrees to is the one thing they're trying to implement. Instead, you've got, we have to build for any eventuality of a network that might be out there that we're trying to automate. Case in point, look at Juniper's Abstra product. What does it do? One thing, build a data center network and you've, they've got their templates that you can work from. And it does one way. And, and, it go, and it's very opinionated. It goes it's one way. I think yeah. we should all be building uh, networks in that way. But as an industry, we're, mm. there's, I, I don't see any roadmap to get us there. I, don't, yeah. I can't imagine a way that we could get there. I think part of that is, goes back to scale. Like when you look at cars and you look at servers and stuff like that, there's just so many more of them than there are networks. The second thing is I think that that 
at least for me when I look at a network, I don't just think about how do I get packets from point A to point B. I think about how do I build something that adds value to the company I work for in a strategic or tactic, at least strategic way. And well, we <laughs> don't, you know, we don't. And so I know that's hard, right? That's not something that we think about, but that's. So, so I, I also know, Russ, the way you think of when you say the word network, what you mean and what most people mean are different <laughs> things. Because when you say network, you're thinking of LinkedIn scale network or service provider global scale network. And there are only a handful of those networks in the world. However many yeah, there are, there's not that many. But true. there are thousands upon thousands of networks, maybe millions of networks, I don't know, globally that are small to medium sized business, even medium to large enterprise size that could be cookie cutter and could be templatized and could be built to a standard that would accomplish the goals that uh, they need. And you could say, oh yes, I built our network is XYZ standard. Ah, uh, automation vendor, we support that standard, bang. And you come on in the door and all of a sudden it's a lot easier for the automation tooling to know what it's looking at yeah. and how it would automate that thing. I'm trying to remember the, the last network I worked on that was less than 20, that was less than like five or 10,000 routers. It's been a long time. I suppose. I, see, and I needed to raise that because that's not most networks. <laughs> but what, well, and so I was thinking through like who, who has, who has a, a, a more opinionated to use Ethan's word, um, solution. And, and he mentioned Abstra. You look at like the Meraki's, you look at even, you know, Ubiquity has tried some of this, right? Or you look at your SD-WAN vendors, but the challenge with each of those solutions um, is that they still are single vendor, they don't interoperate, and you are you're, you're kind of locked into that particular implementation and mode. You know, if you, you choose, and I've seen customers who have like three different SD WAN vendors, right? The, the, you're not doing this right. Um, for example, you know, it's it's just your any any optimization you're getting, you're losing in interactions between those three different um, solutions, and then the the skill to keep everybody trained up on them. Yeah. But it seems like industry wide, we we have lost the kind of interoperability that we used, or the the community we used to have around building protocols, as opposed yeah. to these larger. Yeah automation systems there is yeah. no movement yeah. to to try and work together in that in that space and and part of the problem there too yvonne is that a lot of these products are built by people and i, I don't want to make this sound mean but are like i always say sonic is a network operating system built by server people and that shows because the way that it carries routes between the routing table and the and the and the um, forwarding engine is utterly insane if you actually sit down and trace out what that looks like you're like who designed that like that's crazy well the same thing a lot of this is happening with these automation systems i know people i know of customer i know of customers i know of, of organizations that will not deploy specific automation systems because they can't be removed because once you remove them the configurations that have been done in the network are esoteric they rely on magic numbers that nobody other than the vendor knows they're completely unmaintainable by a human any longer and the answer you always get is well why would you ever get rid of the automation once you have it <laughs> yeah okay but no right 
But no, that's not the way things work. So I don't know, Ethan, you have any thoughts on that as a... (laughs) (laughs) So actually, there's a lot of things in there. Um, One is, I'm going to go back to a point Yvonne was making earlier uh, that made me think about... um, When you have the abandonment of protocols and community working together to build a thing that everybody marches to, you end up with, and this kind of happened as the SD-WAN market emerged, you end up with a great deal of vendor differentiation. There is no interoperability within SD-WAN. And that was a market that took off hugely 2016, 2017. It's decreasing in routing protocols. It's decreasing in routing protocols, even in foundational things. And by the way, just just to make that, just to increase your point there, Ethan, continue. And so the, the Cisco bought Viptela, and the way Viptela does routing doesn't even interoperate with it, its own world. I mean, it's a it's a major challenge. Um, yeah. And there's lots of other SD WAN solutions out there that don't interoperate with anybody else. When you look at how all of these systems were modeled, there's a there's been a big movement with uh, with Yang models. Yang's going to save us. Yang, that's this how we're gonna we're gonna model our networks in uh, in Yang as our descriptor and push that all across NetComp, and that's going to be the way. Well, it's a way. And if you start digging through the Yang catalog, it doesn't look much different to me than the SNMP MIB tree from back in the day. You, with with SNMP MIBs, you had the standard MIB2 and lots of things that every switch router and so on supported. And then you got into the interesting stuff that was useful and cool in the private section. And you'd go into, what was it, enterprise, private. I can't remember the hierarchy in the SNMP MIB tree exactly. But you'd find all of this stuff that... For this one particular Cisco device that does the thing, you got to go way down deep in the tree, and here's all these objects that, uh, that that accomplish something for you. Yang feels like it's headed in that direction or has gone on, uh, to some degree in that direction. If you dig through, uh, what is it, yangcatalog.org or com or something, you can well, find lots comp. of proprietary Yang models. This is comp. not what was supposed to happen. Yeah, just open comp versus IETF model. That itself, they're different. Yes, open config versus the ITF. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're completely different. So, you, yeah. so you, that is even at the very top level, we have exactly what we had with SNMP right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the other the other side of that is if you're if you are going to develop anything other than just packet delivery services like L two or L three lookup, if you're going to do anything other than that, somebody has to build hardware that does that, and somebody has to make a profit off of the hardware that they're building. And it and it has to be like a company's not going to exist if it's not differentiated. And I'm not, you know, I don't work for a vendor. I don't really care if vendors succeed or not, other than I want to buy switch chips. But like, <laughs> I, 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 there, things have to be a little bit different. The market's just not big enough to survive undifferentiated. This is not the server market. We're not going to sell as many switches. And so and the server uh, market like, doesn't have as much differentiation as the networking market does. I mean, even at a base level, sure. you know. You have four classes in a typical cloud deployment like LinkedIn or Microsoft or whoever else, um, even at Akamai for Linode and stuff. We have basically three or four different kinds of machines you can get. They're fairly standard. There's compute heavy. There's storage heavy. There's network heavy. There's balanced. And and that's pretty much what you get. You get different levels of those. But that's pretty much what you get. And any application in the world will run on those. So you get your differentiation up in the software. It's really right. hard to do when you're delivering packets. I, I, I think that's part of the problem. 
And I'm not saying we shouldn't have standards. I'm just saying that like there's going to be a place where it meets in the middle where it's different from, from automation in other parts of the industry. I I think that's the reason network automation should exist because I think the read, like what you're saying, Ethan, about uh, there's not one standard that everybody can just do with, with uh, Yang. Um, That's why automation exists because at some point you have to stitch together all the stuff and make it unified. I'm just saying that the models um, the Yang models are not, we're not the place to do that anyway. And, and I'm not surprised that it, that it forked off like it did, but we have, somebody has to build a unifying layer. And I think it's just going to be different for networking, I guess is my only point. Well, I think the unifying layer is becoming a uh, single vendor. Th- that is yeah. you yeah. rather than playing multi-vendor and going best of breed, the model now that all the vendors are pitching is not, we're the best of breed for this part of your IT stack. You need to buy it all from us. We're going to sell you the network switches. We're going to sell you the routers. We're going to sell you the security. Then you're going to buy our automation tooling that's going to put all this stuff together. And you can just trust us. It works together because it's all our stuff. If you mix and match, you can do it. There's some integrations, but it's going to be a lot harder. You're going to be dealing with multiple panes of glass to monitor this thing. You're not going to get good uh, event interaction and, and percolation up. Root cause analysis is going to be tougher. Um, so you really just want to buy it all from us. And I want to be able to tell these people they're wrong, but they're not. They're exactly right. That's yeah. where we're at now because of all the proprietary stuff yeah. that's gotten built on top. Yeah, you yeah. end up needing as a, as a business to protect your investment and to deliver the security that you need to deliver because you're bound by regulations, let's say. Uh, you need to go to a single vendor. It's kind of gotten to that point. You can't pick and choose and I really want to work with this vendor for this and this other vendor for that and because it doesn't all work together and making it all work together is too hard unless there happens to be a deep partnership and an integration that you can count on being there you just and that doesn't and that doesn't and that doesn't last because companies buy companies tail F is a perfect example of what happened yeah. there and I think what's really funny about that is I think vendors are actually harming themselves by doing this they think that they're getting someplace but the reality is, is, is that companies that are large enough to do their own thing are doing their own thing and not buying from the vendors specifically because the vendor sells an ecosystem, not a product that can be integrated with other products, right? I mean, if you were, if, if you worked for a police department and you were buying cars for the police department and you found out that the only way you could make your police cruisers work correctly is you bought them all from the same manufacturer. You might be heavily, if you're, if you're a small department, then you're going to be sure, whatever, what can I do? I mean, I only have five police cars, right? But if you're a large police force, you're going to go out and design your own police cars. Like, that's ridiculous. I'm not buying all my cars from the same vendor. You know, I'm too big for that nonsense. I can't count on a single vendor. So the vendors have almost shut themselves out of the large market, of the larger market spaces in doing this, which is unfortunate and sad, but that's the way things are. Well, if you look at the, look at the danger to the small, the the one that only has five cars, uh, the danger there is that like you're completely powerless over it. And when it cripples your business, the vendors get to walk away. They get to yeah. say, yeah, not my problem. And yeah. I mean, that's a, you know, that's an issue. And I'm not, by acknowledging that, I'm not saying I think it's right that it should be that way, but I think that that's market forces do are pushing it the way you're saying, Ethan. I, I agree with that. I, the only answer is to, if you want to do network automation, work for a, something that's sort of halfway between Russ's world and, and the, you know, the five police, police five car police department. <laughs> I think those do exist. I don't think you you have yeah. to be a hyperscaler to, to have an automation team or to ha- have some sort of uh, you know clue well, about this. So this is another reason I care about this stuff. Um, another 
aspect of what's happening at a lot of IT shops is, is a reduction in headcount or people that are there being asked to do more. That seems to be a trend. All right. If you're the network engineer slash security engineer slash cloud engineer and you've got to do all of that stuff, wouldn't it be nice if the networking component could be automated along with the rest of the stack? That's been harder to do where you hard to provision whether it's a, a VPC or, or security groups or whatever it is to be to build all of that around the application that's being deployed and do that at the same time. It's been tougher, especially if you're delivering something on premises. If you're doing it in the cloud, I think it's easier. If you're doing it on premises, I think it's harder because you kind of got to roll your own and figure that out, how you're going to make that automation work. And it gets to be, again, too hard, especially if you're multi-vendor, especially if you've got an eight-year-old switch in the closet that hasn't had a NOS upgrade in a really long time, <laughs> and you don't have an API to even talk to the thing, so you're down to Python libraries that can screen scrape for you to get all that done. That means getting the network part of an IT application deployment uh, automated is challenging and holding back the rest of an infrastructure as code effort that might be going on within your company. And if you're the one human trying to figure all that out, or maybe there's two of you, it's just, it, it's all too hard. And so you look to the vendor and go, can you help us out here? This is what we're trying to get done. We tried to roll this ourselves with some Ansible and Python, and man, it is just too hard. Can, what, what can we do here? We got gotcha. you. We're going to sell you all the things. It's going to do all the stuff. And then you're going to be happy. It's going to be good. We promise. And then the other problem I see with that entire <laughs> scenario is that there is no clear career path between the small business where you're the everything person and you're in the middle of that everything and you decide, I really want to do security. I really want to do networking. Whatever it is you decide you want to do out of that group set so that you can move on with your life and grow in an area, you can't. Because the next step up is a large enough company to have their own automation. And you've never experienced that. And so it just, it, it's like, it makes... So in the old world, you had these small steps. You could go to a larger company, a smaller company, to a vendor. You could do this, that, and the other. Nowadays, it almost feels like, for, for people I've talked to, that like I'm in a shop, of, and I know two or three people in this position right now. I'm in a shop that has five IT people, four IT people working for them. And I really, I just really want to move to a mid-scale retailer. But the skill set is now completely different between those two shops. And because like, the mid-scale retailer doesn't touch the CLI, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. or or they, they haven't bought the single vendor and everything, they're writing yeah. their own scripts and they're doing their own stuff. And you never developed that skill set because you bought a single vendor where you are. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, you just don't have the multi-vendor. Like when and they using start their as, tools as opposed to yes. writing writing infrastructure as code blocks that live and, in a GitOps repository and pushing them through a pipeline or something, and and understanding the protocols themselves, right? Because if you work with if you work with one of these interfaces that's vendor specific, why do you ever need to learn BGP? Like I never learned to configure it. I never need to learn how it works. It just it's magic. Like I look at the single pane of glass and it's all there. And if it isn't there, I pick up the phone and I call my vendor, right? There's no proving ground to build the skills, unfortunately. Uh, that that if you want to make me. the leap, if you don't want to yeah. make the leap, then, then you don't care. You know, yeah. you know enough. But that but actually worries me yeah. about the networking industry. Like, where are we getting noobs coming up 
And that that's a little worrying to me. I don't know, Tom, Yvonne. Yvonne's been very quiet. Yvonne needs to say something. Well, <laughs> Yvonne's been thinking because there's something about this conversation that doesn't quite track with me, but I, I haven't been able to, to figure out what it is. <laughs> I mean, because what what I'm looking at is like if I if I own if I'm a business owner and I'm a decision maker. And ultimately, what I care about is either being sure patients are cared for, or being sure that we ship products out the door, or being sure, like, um, I, I really just want something that works, right? Yep. Like, um, and and we've got to figure out how to do that, um, and and how to do it in a way that, frankly, is not so burdensome to the business. I. One of my one of my frustrations is I end up in conversations a lot where you've got a, a leader decision maker asking a question, and the people that they're talking to can only talk about three letter acronyms that that don't translate into their world. And I and I feel like part of part of our challenge too is that we don't we don't have the business acumen to go into a room and say, hey, here's what I do and why it matters, or to also go. Hey, I've done this thing for a long time, but it's no longer differentiated because there's this other thing that does that now, and I need to go figure out how to do something else. Now, I'm not saying that network engineers go away, um, but I am saying we we have to like at at some point if we've been making horseshoes and nobody's riding horses anymore, we got we got to figure out like what the thing is, um, and I do think that. We need to peel services out of the network. That the network needs to be as absolutely simple as possible for packet transfer. You know, get packet from point A to point B. Move the services up the stack, and 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 I think it it does change the landscape for those workers some. But I don't know that that's a net loss. I, I we got I know, so much of our identity wrapped up in the. You know, I, I just I I I don't know. I feel like we're trying to hold back a dam that's going to eventually go, you know, be breached. I, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I think there's there's work to do. This And this is why I was quiet, because I don't know how to say it the right way. But, hmm. I, I, you know, anyway. Well, sorry. The, the network being lot. simple, nope. and so that you can focus it in it, it, its job is packet transfer. And that's what it does. I think the horse has left the barn and in fact, the horse has left the barn so far behind it, probably can't see the barn anymore. <laughs> I don't think we get that back right. because I'm now either. so much of the functionality that we're baking in, especially around security, security functions, identity, and zero trust network access and zero trust initiatives more broadly, relying on the network to do enforcement and carrying metadata, uh, that to get back to what we would think of as a simple network, which I guess we could, again, if I want to, I could just say underlay, it's yeah, gone. To get it's back, not coming back. Get back to the point where you can just deploy ISIS or OSPF and just like, okay, I'm done. You can ping, so I'm done. Yeah, no. it's like that's that's like level one. It used yeah, to be, well, yeah, you know, a carrier would stand up an MPLS network and maybe a large enterprise. Now everybody's doing, it may not be MPLS, but it's some form of, of encapsulation yeah. over the top yeah. of that underlay. The underlay is like, well, you just got to first base. Congrats. Now let's actually build some functionality <laughs> well, on top it's, of that bad it's, boy. It's, and you're saying security is not just security and policy. It's also, unfortunately, consuming complexity out of the applications 
that like as the network is expected not to fail the network is expected to carry you know and 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 you're not given one task like when i work on large scale data centers i can often ask like what is the one task give me the one thing this needs to do is it low jitter is it low latency is it lots of bandwidth what what is the one thing i need to do in this network to succeed with this set of applications that's not really true anymore unfortunately it's like, yeah, we want all the things. We want low jitter, and we want to make sure that it fails over so fast that nobody even knows anything went down. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Why aren't your servers and your applications doing some of take, sucking up some of that complexity? Right? <laughs> it's the same conversation we've been having for 20 years. <laughs> I know. It is. It is. But that's. I think that's, unfortunately, Yvonne, I think that's where we are. I think that it's, I, I wish... I wish. I mean, I hear people like Tony P say, the network should deliver packets like I can install new RAM in my computer. And I think, yeah, no. <laughs> but I mean, there are people out there really doing it. There yeah. are people, you know, yeah. like yeah. There, there is no VPN to get on the network. Your laptop works exactly the same as it does on network mm -hmm. and off network. Identity is controlled through IAM, not through the network. I mean, there, there are people who do that and there are systems who allow you to do that. I think that there are vendors who have layered on so many features and, and sold a, a, a solution that is dependent on the network that ultimately may not be as good for the entire stack because your experience as a user is completely different depending on whether you're on network or off. But now I'm getting almost like religious in this conversation and I don't want to be that person. No, so. no, it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> That's why we ask you on, Yvonne. <laughs> I mean, it can be done. Um, well, to some degree, Now, whether yeah. it's practical well, to do it for... Uh, a medium-sized enterprise that I don't know. Well, I wanted I wanted to if we can I wanted to shift a little bit. I wanted to ask you, Ethan. Um, you had a section in your notes about interfaces. What are your yeah. thoughts on on interfaces? So we talked a little bit about Yang, but I think there's more to it than just that. Well, the, <laughs> the old stuff hasn't <laughs> gone away. SNMP still matters on some level. Weirdly, um, <sighs> APIs vary from uh, vendor to vendor, and from yeah. even within a vendor like you know, Cisco, there's a bunch of different APIs depending on what what NOS you're talking to and what flavor of that NOS you're running. Uh, and so you end up needing to write automation that if the, you don't have an abstraction layer, you're maintaining a bunch of different, like if you go the GitOps approach, you've got a bunch of different chunks of code that accomplish something depending on what the platform is that you're talking to, which is cumbersome. And almost everybody's got this problem on some level or another. You're, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to uh, enjoy a single vendor with a single API that you can write all your code against. My goodness, wouldn't that be a luxury? Uh, and, and that just complicates things. Um, and so the, it's that problem, including no API at all, still CLI, and the best you can do if you want to automate is a, a Python library that'll do the screen scraping and the normalization and um, uh, get you to that point of programmatic data, something you can actually work with. Uh, it, it, it all just makes the automation uh, hump that much harder to get over because you've got that much more of a challenge to, uh, to deal with. And again, let alone 
SNMP still exists. It's still a thing. That's still the way you get data out of some of these boxes. We haven't yeah. talked about telemetry, things that are coming off box that you're consuming, which which is, a, you know, we've been talking mostly about input going towards a device, but how do you deal, from an automation perspective, you got to deal with output coming from the device that may be events that you need to react to and do something with. Well, you got to consume those events somehow. And telemetry is a different animal from uh, a syslog, which is a different animal from SNMP traps. Uh, people that have worked in a... Uh, heavy telemetry environment you got data coming off the chips talk about the, the trouble with that that's not always easy to consume and then you've got a lot of data to deal with and and manage uh and so on yeah. <laughs> none of this is making automation any easier for anybody it's yet it's just that much having a multitude of interfaces that you might have to deal with depending on what the device is and what you're trying to get done just complicates your life. It's not as straightforward as writing a, a piece of Python code or an Ansible playbook. There's some extractions out there that help with a lot of this stuff. Uh, and there are some vendors that want to help with a lot of this stuff. But there's no one straightforward way to deal with the interface problem. It, and, you know, an inter, um, interface, I guess I'm using that in a broad sense because you could say, well, everybody supports NetConf, you know, maybe, or something like that. Yes, right. I, it's I really more of an that, API those, those things, than but, it is but, an but, interface. Right. Yeah, we're really talking about how do you issue the commands to get the same thing done, and it's yeah. going to vary from device to device. If I want to instantiate uh, a BGP process and have it do certain things depending on peers, the API calls I will make to achieve that will vary from device to device. It just will. Um, even if, uh, I mean, I guess you could get to if Open Config supported, maybe it's the same. Maybe, you know, maybe it's the same, just depending. But then you'll look at you know a Cisco box that might support Open Config. Well, it might support some of its own magic yang models that uh, you know for that as well. So, I don't know. There's, so, uh, so I no, wonder. No, I wonder how this, much. But. I wonder how much of this relates to differing implementations and the way that different coders and different companies and different organizations implement things because they're planning new, different features in the future differently and stuff like that. Um, I know that when you look at XR and iOS Classic and NX, mm -hmm. um, for instance, some of those differences in the Yang models are simply that the operating system doesn't handle data the same way, doesn't store it the same way. It doesn't have access to everything in the same way. So yeah. when, you, when you're writing the code for the Yang model, you're like, ooh, yeah, I can write it the way they want me to, but oh my gosh, that's going to take 200 lines of code and it's going to reduce my performance by 50% answering that particular type of Yang query. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a different Yang model and I'm just going to publish it. I'm going to keep my performance. Thank you very much. And and so part of it is that too. Not every BGP implementation is the same. It doesn't even use the same configuration process. Like go configure... SRV6 on its Cisco iOS and then on Junos and then on FR routing and like mm -hmm. tell me like are these even the same thing? Like am I am I even configuring <laughs> yeah. the same thing on all three of these? <laughs> I I think that like the only way you're ever going to get a standardized interface is by cloning humans. Take the developer team from this vendor, clone <laughs> them, move them, put a copy in each each vendor. That's the only way you're ever going to because Conway's Conway's law or whatever. Like you're you're just not going to get the standard thing. We're humans. There's no every every person on this earth is unique, and there will never be another one of us ever. Which I think is amazing about being a human, by the way. But it's, it also drives it's a good stuff thing like in this. my case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so so. 
okay, so the vendor's not going to be the same. The interfaces aren't going to be the same. The, it has to come, It has to be the same at the place where the interest, the business interest, is one of a uniform execution, and that's at the customer. It's not at the industry layer. It's not at the vendor layer. Even the vendors can't, they, they, you know, like we've talked about, they can't be consistent across their entire portfolio because they have different humans building this stuff. But the the layer at which you bring all this together is the the place at which business interests execute at the same level. And I think that's the people operating the network and building the network. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I don't want to push back too hard on this stuff because I agree with you, Ethan. A lot of the problem is that, but, but I don't know how to fix it. That's the problem. And, and some of that, and as I've been reflecting on this last chunk of conversation here, is not unique to networking, I guess. Uh, if you compare, let's take the big three public cloud vendors, you know, AWS, Azure, and GCP. Those interfaces are certainly unique, and even the way they do the same thing are different. And so the way you would express that in automation will be different in some way. Geez, I don't like digging through, say, the uh, the Google Cloud APIs. It's just confusing and deep, and you can do all kinds of things. And then once I've solved it there, I got a. It's a whole different animal to get it done on AWS, uh, for example. So I'm not. I, I shouldn't claim that networking is suffering a unique challenge in this regard. But man, it does seem frustrating to have to solve the same problem three different times because you're dealing with three different pieces of equipment. When it's, is it the, the interesting difference there, because public clouds are more radically different, frankly, than your networking vendors, because, you know, any protocols that they're standing, uh, standardizing on other kind of pre-existed public cloud, or it's, it's, it's rest APIs or things like that. The difference though is like Terraform is kind of the de facto configuration tool for all three of those public clouds, even though they operate very differently. Did you say open tofu? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's a that's a time sensitive joke. It's not gonna be funny in a year. Anyway. That's all right. Uh, but you know, so it's that I think that is probably also one one difference. Like that there's not one unifying like automation platform like Terraform for networking. I mean, can no. you do it with Terraform? Maybe in some ways, you know, but it, yeah. it's more like, you know, dust off your the Python closest thing we chops, got. you know? Uh, yeah. 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 And then but you, I think you it's a really good like comparison. I, like uh, I, I tential exists in part because of that challenge. Uh, they are going to take whatever playbooks and Python scripts and whatever else you've rolled together and try to bring them all into one platform. That's that's a part of their value proposition because of that exact challenge. There is no one unifying tool for network automation. So they're going to try to make it that you can work with everything through them. So, yeah. And, and do you think they'll succeed? I mean, that's always the thing. Cause we could, because companies have done this before. And then so two things happens. Either it doesn't work or B, they get bought, and then it doesn't work. I mean, that's basically the history of this. Okay, going way back in time, when I was first working on Microsoft DOS, this is how old I am, and Windows for Workgroups, and Windows 3.1, and Windows 3.0, that's, that's pretty sad. There was a thing that we had that we always said, that Windows isn't done until Lotus won't run. <laughs> and... <then laughs> 
that. Because, because every new release of Windows broke Lotus 1, 2, 3. Without fail. It wasn't even like, you didn't even have to guess. You just knew that was going to happen. And some of the breakages were, I mean, I could tell you they were really ridiculous breakages. And they were easily preventable, but nobody wanted to prevent them. So I wonder um, just how we're going, you know, is something like, a unif- is if a vendor comes out and says we're going to unify everything, is it going to work? Well, Itential is not an abstraction. Let's put it that way. It's not really what they're building. So okay. it's, it's a different sort of a platform. It's more, I don't speak for them, uh, but it's, it's closer to orchestration, I would say, of the existing automation that you've already built out. Uh, okay. And then there's a lot more to it as well. I think the losing game is trying to build the universal abstraction layer because you're yeah. never going to keep up. You're just not. Uh, that's that's going to be a fight and you're going to always need customers that believe in you that want to fund you so that you'll abstract the next thing that's important to them and you'll just be chasing that forever and uh and and you're always going to be behind trying to keep up with that and and the other Um, danger with the universal abstraction there is again someone some customer comes to you says i'll write a 10 million dollar check 20 million whatever the money needs to be if you'll go implement this particular feature in your system and since all the underlying hardware and its operating systems don't support it, you find a way to implement it, but it's playing games, right? It's using features that are deprecated or shouldn't be there or, you know, writing stuff in that you actually draw the feature into your model, right? And once you do that, things get really messy really fast. And it's well, really hard to manage that stuff. And it, it, it's very hard to resist the temptation of making the universal model contain features. The other risk there, and we saw this especially early on with certain like iPhone and Android apps, is if you do that abstraction really, really well, you understand the customer, you build a feature that everybody wants that's fabulous. Well, the vendor's just going to go build the same thing yep, and and integrate it into their product and then they've completely destroyed your market, right? That That's the other thing that happens, right? Whether it's, you know, like parental controls apps, for example, right? Folks created those aftermarket, now they're built into the platform, right? And, and that same thing will happen in networking. Like if you do a really great job and build a really awesome thing, you do all the research, you do all the investment, you do all the work to make that feature possible, and then the big guys just go, oh, great idea. We'll build one too. Or they just go buy yours, right? Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so it's just, there's, it's, it's not a good business model. Yeah. That's the or, thing. or if you open source it, then they just consume the open source, fork it, and don't push anything upstream, and your open source project dies. And then they sell the product, even though you developed Which, it. Which we were just poking at Terraform and HashiCorp a little bit. That's yeah. part of the story there. You yeah, know why right. they changed the licensing and all of that and yeah. got everybody else all wound up because other people had built on yeah. that without contributing back to the original Terraform project. And so, okay, the guys were supporting the ecosystem all by ourselves. You know what? We're going to take our marbles and we're going to go home. So you want to use this and make money on it? Fair enough. New license. So, yep. yeah, that's a risk. Yeah, it is. We've solved absolutely nothing today. I know. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> no, but it's, again, going back to my opening point, I, I, I do think it's time for, as an industry, we, t- we talk about this. And, and Russ, I know you were 
didn't sound overly hopeful that uh, much was going to get done at the Autocon Zero conference, but I am hopeful the conversations get started and there are some, I don't know if it's going to be frameworks that come out of it. I don't know what's going to come out of it. I don't know what the right thing is. I don't know what the conversations are that even need to be had 100%. But my hope at the event is that some discussions happen that start taking us down a different path and a a path that makes network automation more predictable and more consumable so that as practitioners start going okay let's let's start automating things how should i do about do this maybe there's a standard way to do training that comes out of it that's not merely here's how you use ansible or here's some really cool python libraries and some tricks but it's actually a, a holistic approach of how you consider your network as a system, break it up into component parts that are infrastructure as code, manage them appropriately, and then use tooling to deliver that infrastructure as code to the infrastructure, to your network infrastructure. Start thinking about it from that way and not behind a walled vendor garden um, where it's this is our way to do automation yeah. for our equipment. It's it's more universal in approach. Yeah. We need something like that that makes network automation easier to get your head around. I think there's some industry changes that can could could result and could happen. But then I look at all the things that have happened over the last bunch of years with the different interfaces and Yang models and and so on and gone. I don't know. You know, yeah. I, can we can we get by that? It seems like we've tried, and it's just yeah. like we've got got this mess like scattered over the field, and we didn't actually build anything. We just made a disaster. And part and part of this is our fault, by the way, as network engineers and network architects and network designers. Part of this is our fault, just to be honest. So, twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, I would go to a customer, a large bank. I would go to an enterprise operator, whatever you want to call them. I still say customers, and I probably shouldn't anyway. I would go to a large enterprise operator or a large operator and I would say, you are running OSPF on a one on a 2000 node network, 2000 router network. You really, or EIGRP or ISIs, you really should be running BGP overlay to simplify the way that OSPF works here or ISIS or EIGRP. Because what you've done is you've built a lot of complexity through a link state protocol or an IGP that really BGP does better. Okay. And they would all go, oh, I don't know how to use BGP. Nobody in my trip, no, nobody knows how to use BGP. I can't do that. That's crazy. BGP is just for big providers. We can't, we can't deploy BGP. Well, now we've done just the opposite, right? Now everybody deploys BGP. And the problem is, is we've done the same thing in the other direction. We've done a lot of garbage that in, increases complexity rather than just saying, okay, the wheels on the car, they go around. And they need to be focused on doing that one thing. The engine in the car needs to produce horsepower. Let it go do its thing. We don't do that in networking. We take a single nail gun and we solve every problem that can be solved from policy to underlay to overlay to security to quality of service. We want everything in one nail gun. And so that makes automation infinitely harder Hmm. like stop doing that break your network up into modules and then automate each individual module and you'll suddenly discover i can actually automate an evpn overlay if i'm not trying to make bgp play all the tricks of giving me reachable destinations for the underlay as well for tunnel endpoints i can take that job out of bgp and the automation for bgp becomes a lot easier we don't do that we just Toss it all in one big bucket. 
But right. it does go back to training and standardized approaches that we don't it does. have. Yeah. And as you said, you were talking about that that uh, customer uh, example where, well, but yeah, but we don't know BGP. Yeah. You don't? Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's not that hard to learn. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying you have to all teach it to yourself, but I mean, that information is accessible and teachable. Yes. And you can get there. What part of being a network engineer did you not understand? <laughs> well, it's, again, it's all how we how we all came up through the field, you know, how it we is. all came up. It's, we have but different I, stories and different paths. Yeah. I do want to say one thing, though. Um because a lot of time, and it really depends on the culture of your organization, but a lot of times decisions are made at a level in the organization yep. where the hands-on keyboard engineer doesn't have a lot of influence, right? Yep. Depending on those vendors and the executive relationships they have. And so, yes, to a certain degree, can network engineers make demands till they're blue in the face? Absolutely. If their senior level executives go, hey, I play golf with this executive at this vendor and we're going to buy all their stuff, um, then like you just can't like take responsibility for that. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, true. it's yeah. so in, you know, in, in some orgs, in some instances, the engineers have a ton of influence and I, and I don't want to negate that. Um, at the same time, there are certain things that out of your control yeah so i don't well, know. like you said yvonne i know we didn't solve anything but uh yeah, yeah it's a good conversation <laughs> maybe, maybe we've articulated some of the problems anyway. yeah maybe yeah. somebody will listen to this and go oh man i really need to think about that i actually need to go do something right i don't know i don't think this publishes until after autocon or whatever it is what's the name of it autocon autocon zero uh, that's running november 13th and 14th yeah. So is this going to be after that? I think so, but I can okay. I can work with the schedule and see where it goes and see if I can do something. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I would love to actually be there, but I don't think I will be. I think it's too many overlaps. Too many. Th- I think it overlaps with IETF actually, which is hard to not, find those free dates on the calendar. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, which is a really sure. bad thing. But anyway. All right, well, cool. Thanks, Ethan, for coming on. I think we've pretty much beat this poor dead horse. When the horse is dead. <laughs> dismount <laughs> thanks for having me on russ I appreciate yeah, it. no cool. animals were harmed in the making of this podcast <laughs> i don't know okay so let's go around yvonne where do people get in touch with you if they want to or they follow you yes i am on the platform formerly known as twitter um at sharp network or you can find me on linkedin as yvonne sharp okay and tom uh you can find me on linkedin just search for tom ammon and you'll probably find okay. me okay tom ammon is a one is a one social media man. <laughs> yep. Wow. And Ethan, well, Ethan, forget it. I'm not even going to ask you. <laughs> Everybody knows where to find Ethan. <laughs> Ethan's everywhere. Oh, in case you don't, uh, Ethan yeah. Banks, you can find me on LinkedIn. That is where I post these days. And uh, of course, I am the voice of uh, heavy networking, or at least one of the voices for heavy networking and the Day 2 Cloud podcast over at Packet Pushers, which you can find at packetpushers.net that and lots of other podcasts and so on that we're sharing over there that's great that's awesome and i'm russ white you can always find me here at the hedge at rule11.tech on linkedin primarily or just find my email address and email me really seriously anyway well thanks for your time and attention i know that or we here at the hedge know that your time and attention are really important today and we're glad that you decided to join us for hanging out with us for an hour and listen to us yabber about all the problems in the world and not solving them. Uh, so thanks for joining us and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.